It was six weeks since that terrible, amazing Passover. The group of Jesus' friends in Jerusalem were still reeling from their experience of the past few days. They'd been on a roller coaster ride for weeks. There was a plunge into despair when their friend and master was arrested, tried and put to death. There was a high of elation and excitement of resurrection morning. And then they'd seen Jesus alive for themselves. But since then it had been a strange time when they weren't quite sure what to do with themselves. They'd sort of got used to the newly risen Jesus being around. He'd turn up at odd moments. They were pretty convinced that this was real, that they weren't about to wake up and find out they'd been dreaming. He'd been making promises since before the crucifixion about how he'd send another comforter to be around forever. And they were to wait in Jerusalem for the promised Holy Spirit. Verses 4 and 5 of our reading in Acts 1 tell us this. Do not leave Jerusalem, said Jesus, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptised with water, but in a few days you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. Now this week Jesus had been taken up to heaven before their eyes. Jesus had led them out to Bethany, quite near Jerusalem, as Luke wrote in Luke 24, 50-53. When he'd led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. Luke writes about it again at the beginning of Acts, as we read today. It's a bit more expanded here. I wonder if the disciples were taken by surprise when Jesus was lifted up into a cloud and disappeared. I think they probably were. Perhaps despite what he told them, they'd been assuming that he would always be around just turning up at odd moments. Now they realised that that was not going to happen. He would come back eventually, but that would be somewhat different. But what would happen now? They were probably every bit as uncertain about that as we are about our future after COVID-19. We're full of questions, and the disciples may have felt rather the same. They had to wait, fearful of a threat outside, uncertain of the future, which must have felt as unfamiliar as our future feels to us. So what lessons can we draw from their experiences? The first lesson I would like to draw is that we're called to trust God. We do not know everything that God is doing. In verse 6 of Acts 1, the disciples asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They wanted a precise timetable, a clear roadmap for the future. They wanted answers. We've seen journalists and commentators responding in just this way, asking endless questions about details as the lockdown is gradually lifted. Clearly Boris and company cannot give immediate answers. Watching and listening to this has sometimes made me want to shout, Oh, row up! We have to learn to live with uncertainty. We have to be content to let things develop. So Jesus' response to them could well be his response now. 
He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. This is a timely reminder. We do not know all that God has planned. We do not know why he allowed this pandemic in the first place. We do not know what his purpose might be, but we are called on to trust him. He has set times and seasons by his own authority. We do not have all the answers, and sometimes we feel as if we have no answers at all. But we know our God. We are called to trust him. The theme of this sermon is a new trust. The disciples were full of questions and uncertainties, but they knew their national history and what it revealed about God's character. We might remember Abraham pleading for the righteous people who may have lived in Sodom and Gomorrah. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right, he said, and we can echo that. We know the God who heard the cries of the Israelites in Egypt when their taskmasters oppressed them. God heard, God knew, God cared about them and resolved to act. He raised up Moses and sent him to confront Pharaoh and bring his people out of Egypt. Both small groups at the Good Shepherd have been studying Exodus over the last weeks, so this is really fresh in my mind. How powerful God is, how he longs to be known and worshipped throughout the world. And having left Egypt, how hard Israel found it to trust God as they journeyed through the desert. Yet God never left them. He provided for them all along the way, even though their trust often faltered. I could go on and on about God and how he has shown himself to be just and powerful, gracious and merciful throughout history. We have reason to trust him, even though we do not know everything. Here's one more example. Job was an innocent man who suffered devastating losses of family, status, wealth and health. Yet in Job 13 verse 15 we find Job saying, Though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. So hang in there. Secondly, we should devote ourselves to prayer. Faced with uncertainty, the disciples did just that. Acts 1, 12-14 tells us that they returned to Jerusalem, to the upper room which had been in use ever since the Passover feast, when Jesus was crucified. And they devoted themselves to prayer with one accord. I wonder how you've used your time in lockdown. Our experience has been varied according to our individual circumstances. For some, like my youngest daughter, widowed nearly two years ago, it has meant non-stop childcare with no prospect of a break. And I know this has been tough, but she's been drawing on God's endless resources. For her, being devoted to prayers not meant hours of meditation or much time on her knees, but it has meant getting up before the children to prioritise her time with God and enjoying God's presence throughout the busy days. For Ken and I, lockdown has been a time when we've actually prayed together nearly every day. It's something we've struggled with throughout our marriage. We've tried at various times to establish a pattern of praying together, but our efforts have foundered time and time again. At the start of lockdown, we agreed to try again, and it has been a blessing to pray together most mornings. 
but even so it's easy to miss it and easy to let the rest of the day go by without dwelling in God's presence. I've used my daily solitary walks for prayer as well. I know some of you are streets ahead of me in this area, that you faithfully pray through the streets of the parish and our daily prayer diary. Others use the daily prayer from the Church of England and prayer ideas on the weekly sheet from Sue. It's all good. Perhaps you joined the prayer breakfast on May the 9th. We took our cereals into the garden and prayed there. We've been following a series of prayer cast videos daily throughout the Muslim fasting month of Ramadan, so that we've prayed for different Muslim people around the world. Each clip is of a Christian praying for their own people or region or city, and each one ends with the question, do you want to change the world? Pray. We also have had the 30 days of prayer booklets for the Muslim world, and Various other updates come into our email and now we have material for the Thy Kingdom Come prayer initiative. There is no shortage of material for prayer. I heard from friends about the church in Wuhan, China, where the pandemic began. It sounded rather encouraging, so I looked for more information and one pastor wrote. Excuse me, I've lost my place in my notes. He wrote this, the epidemic didn't cut down our meetings. It's quite the opposite. We have prayer meetings for the whole church two hours every morning from 7 to 9 a.m. There's 24 hour fasting and prayer and we're doing a prayer every hour as well. I think after this, many church members will be more willing to communicate with other brothers and sisters in Christ to encourage each other and share with each other. Now, all of this is done through technology, through phones, emails, Zoom or the Chinese equivalent. Many churches in this country and around the world have seen a great growth in their congregations as people find services online. Apparently, the Bishop of Manchester preached on Palm Sunday and his sermon has been viewed 400,000 times. Well, this is exceptional. But it seems that many non-church people are looking for comfort and looking for answers. One survey suggests that many young people who are conspicuously absent from our churches have started to pray during this pandemic. I know that at the Good Shepherd we have a fair number of people who have no internet and cannot use email. And that is why we have not attempted to do services online as Emmanuel and St Barnabas have both been doing. But even though you may not have the technology, I hope you're really glad to hear that God is at work through it, perhaps all the more so as people are physically isolated. And do pray for God to use all this stuff to grow his kingdom. Let me tell you about the UK blessing. Members of various UK churches contributed to a recording of this beautiful song, Singing a Blessing on Our Country recording their voices in their own homes. It's easy to find on YouTube. It was seen over a million times in the first 48 hours, and it has now, as I write this, been viewed two and a half million times since it was released on May the 3rd. I have loved reading the comments from around the world, and here is one of them. 
This is what the body of Christ looks like. We're all one in Christ Jesus, regardless of colour, religion and race. Just Christ shining within us, radiating our unity and pure joy of serving and sharing him. This is so beautiful. The devil messed up when he thought closing churches would shut us up. But there's one more lesson from being shut in and waiting. And that is, we should give ourselves to praise. The disciples meeting in the upper room were waiting and gave themselves to prayer. Luke, in his Gospel account, tells us that when they saw Jesus being taken into heaven, they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple praising God. Yes, they were devoted to prayer, but there was also this chorus of worship, joy and praise. I don't know how you are feeling after weeks of restriction. Some people are working harder than ever. Some people are all alone. Some people have become depressed and even suicidal from the fear and loneliness coupled with uncertainty. For some, there's acute financial distress. For some, there is grief and mourning. Praising God will not make all the bad stuff disappear but it certainly changes our perspective on things. It is a wonderful antidote to self-pity and depression. Here's a couple of definitions. Self-pity is saying, God doesn't really love me. And envy is saying, God loves someone else more than me. One of my spiritual mentors taught me these definitions and I've found them to be spot on and very helpful. But just knowing that does not lift me unless I say sorry to God for thinking such things about him and receive his forgiveness and start to worship and praise and thank him. In worship, we focus on who God is, on his character, his faithfulness, his mercy and his grace. We praise him for the things he has done and is doing. We thank him for all that we have received at his hand. So to sum up, we're called to face difficult times by trusting God. We don't know everything, but God does. Will I trust that he is using even these hard times to accomplish his good purposes for the world, for me and for those I love? We express our trust in persistent prayer, waiting on God, and through joyful worship and determined praise and thanksgiving. Many people are saying things like, we'll get through this. Well, yes, we will, but how will we get through it? Are we just gritting our teeth and waiting impatiently for it to be all over? Or are we trusting God? Are we waiting on him in a spirit of praise, knowing that we are safe in his hand? And I've, on the uh, printed notes of the sermon, I ended with a picture of a big hand and a little person climbing into the safety of that hand. May God bless you.